Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we present the fourth lesson in our series, Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life, or said another way, making sure you don't do stupid things. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us look at the devastation that results when we cheat on our spouse. He begins by pointing out how to deal with the six steps of temptation. Listen now as he gives us some guidance that will lead to our marriage becoming more godly. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to be on page 632. 632, if you're using one of the church pew Bibles, real quick, as you're turning there, got a question. How many of you here today are married? Go ahead, put your hands up real quick, slide them up. Wow, a lot. Okay. How many of you here, you're not married but you're hoping sometime in the future you will be married. Go ahead, put your hands up. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Now look around, check out your options real quick. Okay, just trying, I'm serious. I know, yeah, Lily, put your hand down, Lily. Um, I do know of a couple that met at church, okay, during greet your neighbor time. I kid you not, who needs e-harmony? Just come to church and sit in different sections. Um, how many of you here have children? How many of you have kids? I mean, okay, very good. Um, by the way, I don't think Linda mentioned it. Uh, Terrence and Becca had their baby boy yesterday. Did you guys hear about that? Uh, we don't announce all babies, but because they're on staff, uh, we wanted to make sure and let you know. I, th- I don't have all the details, but I think the baby was like nine plus pounds, something like that. So be praying for Becca as... So uh, they're doing well. Um, one last question, okay? For those of you who are or wanting to get married, um, how many of you are planning sometime in the future to cheat on your spouse? No one's planning to cheat on their spouse? Put your hand down, and I want to talk to you this week, sir. Hour and a half for you. Here's what's crazy. We chuckle at that, but it's not that funny, really, when we think about it. Um, when you look at the most recent statistics, this is what we see. Let's put them on the screen. Up to 65% of men and 55% of women will cheat on their spouse. That's from the Journal of Psychology and Christianity. By the way, the statistics for people not in church and people inside the church is identical. This is staggering. It's the highest I've ever seen it. The highest I've ever seen. If you're just joining us, I know many of you have come to support, you know, friends and family and dedicating the kids and everything. We're glad you're here. What we're in is we're in this series called Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. The basic premise is that if you have a want a fulfilling life, it's not just about putting good things in your life. It's making sure you don't do stupid things. And one of the worst things you can do to ruin your life, to wreck your family, is to cheat on your spouse. To commit adultery. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, because the Bible talks about that, right? And, and I want to give you some steps. And I, I want us to put aside the pride because some of us are here today thinking, I would never do that. And what Paul says in the book of Corinthians is the minute you have this idea that that would never happen to me, then is when you are most vulnerable to Satan's attack because you're not defending yourself. You're not protecting yourself. 
So I just I, I want us to be adults here. I want us to talk about this with real words and practical ideas to make sure this doesn't happen to us. Okay, there's three things I want to encourage you to do. If you're jotting down notes, write this first one down. Step number one, the best way I know how to say this is you have to exit the temptation highway. You have to exit the temptation highway. Now, um, I normally don't start by reading the titles when we read the verses. But in this case, I want you to notice if you have your Bibles open in Proverbs chapter five, the title is an entire chapter warning against adultery, an entire chapter in the book of wisdom on make sure you don't cheat on your spouse, an entire chapter. OK, and he starts out and here's what we read. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now, let me just stop right there because I want to point out to you the first two words in, in chapter five, my son, this is not a preacher talking to the congregation. This is not a marriage counselor talking to a couple. Uh, th- no, this is a dad talking to what we think was probably a teenage son. He's not even probably married at this point. And he takes an entire chapter and he say, let me talk to you about one of the things that will most disrupt and destroy your life. It's this thing called adultery. Uh, you know, my biggest issue when it comes to talking to kids uh, about sex, frankly, is that we don't, we don't tell them enough. And we don't tell them soon enough. We are so stinking vague, you know? So, Johnny, um, sex. Well, basically, this is what it is, Johnny. Sex is when, 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 when well, this is this, this is that, and... And that is this. And if you do this with that, that's sex. Johnny's like, safe sex. I forgot to tell you about safe sex is when you take this, cover that so that this doesn't happen. It's hard to say that without saying anything at all. I'm trying to be PG 13 here. We are far too vague. We need to be much more blunt. You want to make sure your kid hears about this. Not in the locker room or from TV, but from you. From you. Okay? He goes on as, and he says, for the lips of the adulterous woman. Now, it could be adulterous man. Remember, it's a dad talking to his son, so he's not picking on women here. He's going, he's just, the, the, the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, you've noticed that I've highlighted a key words. The two times he mentions the word lips and then speech. What Solomon is doing here, the writer of Proverbs, is he's beginning to outline for his son the progression of temptation in this area of affairs. And he's saying, you need to understand there are various steps and there's various exits that you can get off to make sure you don't mess up. If you have your study guide, I have them listed there for you. The first one is visual. The first one is visual. If you remember this story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel. Remember that story? How did that affair start? Well, late one night, David can't sleep. The king goes onto his terrace uh, at the palace. You know, he's smoking a stogie, eating some popcorn, drinking some soda. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness gracious, 
I think she, she's going she's gonna to shower. She is. Oh, my goodness gracious. Bathsheba is in the bathroom taking a, uh, taking a shower. And he sees her, and that's step one. Step one of an affair always starts with what you see, with what you see. Now, I hear uh, a, a lot of people basically minimize this. Like, all I'm doing is looking. It's no big deal. I hear this a lot from guys. You know, I'm just, I'm just checking out the menu, Dave. Not like I'm ordering from the menu. Just looking, right? It sounds so innocent. No big deal, right? And, and besides, I love it when they say this. I can't help myself. No one can help themselves. Really? Do you really think that? Let me give you a scenario. Let's say my family this summer is at the Santa Cruz boardwalk. I'm holding Sandy's hand. Julia's running up on ahead. Joshua and Jessica are there talking to us. You know, we just got a churro. We're eating a churro. It's a wonderful hot day. And all of a sudden, about 100 feet in front of us, there's this 19-year-old girl with short shorts. She's got a tight T-shirt. On the back of her shorts and on her T-shirt, it says, Juicy. I've already told my daughters they're not allowed to wear that. And my son, by the way. I don't want Josh wearing no juicy shorts. She's coming in our direction. You know? She's very well endowed, if you know what I mean. She just got off the log ride. Her t-shirt is wet. She's waving her hair back and forth. She's walking right to us. As she walks by us, do you think there is any chance... That I look and go, God's creation is good. (laughs) Do you think there's any chance I do that? If I did that, what would happen? I think some of you are going to have to drive to Santa Cruz and pick me up. And I'm sleeping at your house. You can't control your first look because there are sexual images everywhere. That's the reality. But you can control the second look and the third look. The answer is, if you see on the screen there, you got to bounce your eyes. Just like a basketball, you might see something that is inappropriate. And like a basketball, you got to bounce your eyes and you got to look somewhere else. You got to look at the seagulls if she's walking in your direction. You got to do, but it's a discipline you do. But Job says in the book of, uh, of Proverbs, chapter 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Question, have you? Have you made a covenant With your eyes, what you will look at and what you will not look at. What is appropriate for a Christ follower and what is not appropriate. Don't feed it. This is the first exit. Get off and make sure you don't mess up. Okay? Step number two is mental. Mental. This is where you start to wonder and you start to imagine and you start to think. I wonder what she's like. I wonder what he likes. I wonder about that new girl at the front office, you know, the receptionist. I wonder who she, I don't know, I wonder what she's all about. I wonder about the UPS guy. He's not wearing a ring, you know, he sure seems nice. And it's, it's when you begin to entertain things in your mind about this other individual that is not your spouse. When the Bible talks about meditating on God's word, what meditating is to scripture this step is to an affair. You just start to think about it. And you got to cut it off. 
You got to, as we read in the scripture, take your thoughts captive and bring it to the cross. It's not appropriate to entertain those thoughts. Step number three is is verbal. Verbal. By the way, that's what Proverbs five, those first couple verses is all about. He's talking about the speech. You know, in Second Samuel 11, after David sees Bathsheba and after he begins to think and wonder about her, what does he do? He has one of his uh, his attendants. You know, why don't you go get Bathsheba? And why don't you know, just have her come up? We're going to we're going to sit down some afternoon. We're going to have some lattes. We're just going to talk. You know, Bathsheba comes in and he's like, hey, I'm the king. How are you? You're Bathsheba. Very you know, Wow, you look really nice. Do you work out? Yeah. Wow. Well, we should go to 24 hour fitness sometime, you know, and it's just this. It's a conversation. It's a conversation, little suggestion. And this is one of the biggest mistakes people make in marriage. You see it on the screen. Never talk bad about your spouse to the wrong people. Ever. Now, if you're going through marital issues, and we all do at times, you do have to unload. You do need to get advice. You do need to talk. But do not talk to someone from the opposite sex. And that you begin to create a bond there that is inappropriate. Don't do it. So another exit is just to cut that off, that verbal conversation. Step number four uh, is relational. Relational. This is when you want to hang out with that person. You start to hang out with that person, right? Um, of course, a lot of times this happens at work because you're forced to from a work situation and you've got to be incredibly, incredibly careful. I spent some time at our youth retreat talking to our students about this. And the very basic principle is if you're single, you know, I've told my daughter and my son, and you know, I don't care. I think it's a good thing if my daughter's attracted to guys and my, my son is attracted to, to girls. It means you're wired correctly. That's normal and natural. Doesn't bother me. It's good. But the minute you get married, that bond needs to be directed specifically and only to your spouse. But to be attracted to someone from the opposite sex is, is a normal part of being who we are as human. In fact, I heard about this college dean. He was having a meeting of orientation with all the incoming freshmen. And he said, uh, uh, we have some rules around here. I just want you to know uh, that the male students are not allowed to be in the female dormitory past 9 p.m. And the female students are not allowed to be in the male dormitory past 9 p.m. And if, if you break that rule, we will fine you $25. If you break it a second time, we will find you $75. If we catch you and you break it a third time, we will find you $150. Does anyone have any questions? One guy raised his hand and said, how much for a season pass? <laughs> it's a normal and natural. That's some of you just, that's all you're going to remember. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Relationally, it's a normal thing. But if you become married... You don't start, you start connecting to your spouse relationally. Stay away from inappropriate situations. And I don't think I have to explain that to you. You know what that is and what that means. Uh, step number five is emotional. Now you start to have a connection. I hear things like, but you know, they understand me. I, I like talking to them. They listen to me. We laugh together. We have a good time. Now, no one is in bed yet. But step five is what therapists and counselors refer to as an emotional affair. It is sometimes as bad or more destructive as a physical affair. Because you have now connected emotionally with another person. 
Now, here's my point, and I'm trying to reiterate this. At each one of these stages, you've got an exit to get off and to prevent yourself from getting to stage number six. Put stage number six up there. It's the obvious one. Before you know it, it's pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. It's all physical. What Proverbs is saying in chapter 5, very simply, is run, Forrest, run. Get away. Don't mess with it. Be incredibly careful. Careful. You know, commit to God's standards for sex. Commit to it, right? There are various different views um, about sex. By the way, um, again, some of you, some of us, we have this. Yeah, this is never going to happen to me. I sure hope so-and-so is listening. I care about you. And uh, I, I appreciate your confidence and your willingness to say, no, I'm never going to do this. But here's the truth. Some of you are about eight months away from having an affair. You just don't know it yet. Because you are going down the highway of temptation and you think that stage three and stage four is no big deal. When you are making unwise choices continuously and constantly, and before you know it, you're going to be at stage five and going to a hotel room is no big deal because you're that far along. You've got to be wise and you've got to exit off this highway as quickly as you can. Commit to God's standard for sex. Okay. Now, there, there are three different views uh, in terms of what sex is. Let's put it up on the screen. Um, the first is that this is not in your notes. Just follow. Sex is God. Our culture has this, you know, this is a sex in the city, you know, friends with benefits. You know, your sexual relationship has nothing to do with your marital commitment. That's that's that first one. Right now, one of the biggest mistakes that Christians are making over and over and over again is the assumption that, well, but I'm in a committed relationship. I'm not married, but I'm in a committed relationship. We're going to get married. So so that is okay to have sex. Um, Sex in the city would agree with you, but this book doesn't agree with you. So you have a choice to make. And I'm just telling you, as someone who cares about you, you cannot have both. You cannot at the same time say I am going to sleep with my boyfriend and girlfriend and I'm serious about my relationship with God. You can't say it. It's impossible to say. Well, all sins are the same. No, they're not. I don't know who made up that lie. They are not all the same. First Corinthians says that sexual sins have greater consequences to your relationship with God. You can't have both, and you have to understand what culture is telling you. Uh, the second one is that sex is gross. This has happened in the history of the church for quite a while, right? Um, I don't know if you, you knew this, but one of the early church founders and fathers, fathers, one of the leaders of the early church, his name was Gregory of Nices. He said and taught his congregation that Adam and Eve never had sex. Never had sex. See, here's what happened. Um, there was this special tree in the Garden of Eden. And every time Eve ate from that tree, she would get pregnant. Really? We should teach that to the kids in Sunday school class. See how that goes over. That's what he taught. And they have this idea that now it's, it's, it's a bad thing. There's some stupid things that have been said in the church about sex over the years. 
in the last one, what the Bible teaches is that sex is a gift given to married couples. Now, even within the context of, you know, church, all these different views, the Catholic Church um, teaches, the Roman Catholic Church in their dogma teaches that sex has been given to a married couple for one and only one purpose, reproduction, the product, you know, to make children. That's why in the Roman Catholic Church, any form of birth control is considered to be a sin because they understand sex to be only for, for procreation for children. Right. Then came the 16th and 17th century and, and the Protestant Re- Reformation. And uh, you had guys like Martin Luther. How many of you guys grew up Lutheran? Any Lutherans? Couple Lutherans in the back. OK, Martin Luther said, oh, no, no, no. Sex is not just for procreation. It's also given for intimacy and enjoyment for a Christian couple. Did you know that Martin Luther um, taught his congregation that Christian couples should have sex at least twice a week. And all the men said, yes, yeah, like Lutherans are back there going, yeah, Martin Luther, you know, see now I, on the other hand, grew up Baptist, you know, and we never talked about sex because that might lead to dancing and we wouldn't want that to happen, you know. Sex is a good thing. And I am not going to be ashamed as your pastor to talk about it. And you should not be ashamed as parents to talk to your kids about it. Well, how early should I talk to my kids about it? About four to five years earlier than you think you should. I'm hearing, I've talked to people, I've talked to pastors, seven and eight years old. You better get it all out. Be of the birds and the bees right then. Seven and eight, yep. Because they're going to hear it sooner than later. Here's the point. Get off that temptation highway. Be very careful. I know you don't want to ruin your, 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 your marriage and your family, but this can. And some of us are going down these steps and they're, they're not good. We've got to get off, okay? Um, step number two. Uh, Solomon in Proverbs says you've got to visualize the consequences. Visualize the consequences. I do not have these verses on the screen, so you, you can listen or follow along with me. In verse four, we read this. But in the end, she is bitter as gall. In other words, in other words, it starts good, but eventually, you know, that relationship, it gets bitter. It's sharp as a double-edged sword. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. It seems so exciting, but eventually something in you is going to die. Maybe a relationship, maybe something in your soul. Verse 6, she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside for what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. She's flirting with you. Go the other direction. Verse 9, lest you lose your honor, there will be a reputation you lose if this happens to you, and your dignity to the cruel one. Verse 10, lest strangers... Feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Your affair can actually cause your marriage to implode and it will cost you money. This is Proverbs speaking the truth uh, 2,000 years ago. At the end of your life, verse 11, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. It will stress you out. You will say how I hated discipline and my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructions. Listen to verse 14. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. The highlighted words, let me show you, put them on the screen. 
it's going to be bitterness. This is what he's talking about, the consequences. This is what you have to look forward to, bitterness and death and the grave. And, and, and when he's talking death and the grave, he's not talking literally. He's talking emotionally and spiritually. It, it, others will feast on your wealth. You will groan. You will, you will be on the brink of utter ruin. Proverbs 5 on what we have to look forward to. You know, again, I've heard it all. In 25 years as a pastor, I've heard it all. You know, stop shacking up with her and get back to your spouse. But, but Dave, you just don't understand. I, I've got to be true to myself. I can't ignore my feelings. I have to be with this person. You know what you're looking forward to. This is what you're looking forward to. Let's put the next slide up there. What percentage of people actually marry the forbidden lover? 3%. They actually leave their spouse and marry the other person. What percentage of those marriage end in divorce? 75%. So this is the conclusion. What are the odds of a lasting marriage if you hook up with someone you had an affair with? 0.075%. Less than 1%. Solomon says, if you have an affair, it can ruin and affect your health, your wealth, and your reputation in an instant. So here's what he says. Picture it. If I or you have an affair, first thing that happens is we drag Jesus through the mud. First thing that happens. Because there are people that, that you and I go to school with and we work with and we uh, you know, live in the neighborhood with them. And they aren't reading this book. At this point in time in their lives, they could care less really about this God thing. The only thing that, that they are, you know, that they have to hear and know about God is your life, your behavior. So if we have an affair, it affects how they see Jesus. We drag him through the mud. If I were to have an affair... In an instant, I would cease to be your pastor, and rightly so. And my ministry would probably never recover. And if I did become a pastor again, the authority that I have to speak on God's word would be greatly diminished. But if I had an affair, I would crush the woman I love that has given me three kids. And you would crush your spouse. So picture it. Picture you sitting down with your kids and explaining why you're not going to be able to live at home anymore. Picture calling your parents who are now a little bit more elderly and telling them what you did and why your marriage fell apart. Picture what God feels and thinks right now. And that's what what the writer of Proverbs says to his son. Just close your eyes and let that dominoes go and realize that in the end... It's utter destruction. It's not good. I know it, it seems like it starts out fun and it's not good. One of the greatest motivators is realize what you're really getting into. That's a motivator. I don't want that. I know you don't want that. So stay away. Last thing he says is this. Intentionally invest and build your marriage. Intentionally invest and build your marriage. Let's wrap up chapter uh, verse 15. He's talking about this idea of water, comparing it to a marriage. Why? Because water was one of the most highly uh, and most important commodities in those days. We take fresh water for granted. They didn't have a lot of fresh water. So he says in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. 
running water from your own well. And don't go to someone else's well. You already have a well, a water, a spouse at home. Should your springs overflow to the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours, never to be shared with strangers. In other words, guard your marriage, right? And then he starts getting pretty graphic. Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed. That's still the same water imagery. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That word is very interesting in the Hebrew word. I want you to be drunk in love with your spouse. Drunk in love, intoxicated, means to be ravished by, enraptured, captivated, consumed by. You know, you remember how you first felt when you were dating, when you said, I do, those first couple months of marriage, how exciting it was? You need to get that back. You need to build into your marriage. You need to invest into your marriage. It's one of the most easy ways to not only bless your marriage, but to protect yourself. I'm going to tell you real quick how to do that. Let me give you three or four ideas. Write these down on the backside of your study guide. Get serious about meeting each other's needs and wants. Get serious about meeting each other's needs and wants. Someone sent me this email a while back entitled, What a Woman Wants. Women in their preteens need loving. Women in their teens need fun. Women in their 20s need romance. Women in their 30s need admiration. Women in their 40s need security. And women in their 50s need cash. So I'm not sure that's true, but I guess that's what he said, right? Now, that's kind of a fun little email. But what I really want to draw your attention to, and I've mentioned this book before. Let's put the next slide up there. It's called His Needs, Her Needs by William Harley. William Harley is is a counselor therapist, and he's counseled um, uh, thousands of married couples. And he said, you know, I've noticed that men and women tend to have different sets of needs. Primary needs. They're top needs. And you want to focus in on the primary needs of your spouse. Now, he openly says, I'm going to stereotype. So don't anybody get crazy here. This is not not out of the Bible. This is just a very smart individual saying, I've noticed something. He says, I've noticed five of the top needs of women are these. Let's put it on the screen. Women's top five needs, affection. Guys, this is what is normally referred to as non-sexual touching. If the only time you're touching her is for sexual reasons, she's not getting number one. This is holding her hand. This is putting your arm around her. This is hugging her. Non-sexual affectionate touch is incredibly important to women. Conversation. Guys, have you noticed and realized they just like to talk and talk and talk and talk? Have you noticed this? One of the biggest mistakes I made as a young husband was asked Sandy as she was in the midst of her one of her talks. Does this story have a point or? Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I learned quick. I learned. Guys, how many of us? Honestly, I need to work on this. Don't you guys? It's important to them. They want to know more about life than you could care. About. How did your day go? Good. OK, that's good with me. No, they want to know more. Conversation is important. Honesty and openness. They really don't want macho men that never share what's going on. No, share with her what's going on. That means a lot to them. I'm not suggesting you post it on Facebook, but at least tell them. It's financial support. Interesting in this day of, you know, women's liberation that this matters. You know, that they want to know that it's not saying that they want to live in this great house. They want the bills kind of paid for and that matters to them. 
You know, it's stressful when we know we're, you know, for anyone, when we're trying to make ends meet. Financial commitment. They don't just want a good husband. They want a good dad. Play with the kids. Spend some time as a family. After dinner, can we go for a walk? I heard of two women who were talking and one said to the other, does your husband believe in life after death? The other one shrugged her shoulders and said, he doesn't even believe in life in life after dinner. We got to spend some time with our spouse. We got to start dating them again. Okay, now top five needs of men. Let's put it up there. That doesn't surprise anyone, does it? Now, women, you can argue that number one, sexual fulfillment is important to your husbands, or you can understand that that generally is how your husbands have been wired. It's up to you. Okay. Number two is recreational friendship. The idea that every once in a while the husband wants his wife to do something with him that he enjoys doing. I know you might not be into NASCAR or fishing or whatever it is. Every once in a while, he wants you to do something with him. Okay. Spend time. An attractive spouse. I, again, I, 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 when I've mentioned this before, some women get all upset. Again, you have to understand how men have been wired. The average man is not a pig. They don't expect you to look like you looked when you were 20-something and you guys got married. We understand that time takes a toll. Heck, it's taking a toll on me, as we can all see. You know? Hey, you a guy just wants his wife to make an effort. So do something with your hair and makeup, you know, nice blouse. Throw those nasty pajamas away that you have, you know. You can get upset at me or you can listen. <laughs> Men's top five, domestic support. Even in our day and age, women still tend to be the leaders, managers of the household and the kids and they organize things. And that means a lot to guys. When they come home from a long day at work or the wife does, they, you know, if there's chaos at home, whatever, that's harder. And so I'm just telling you what a lot of guys tend to like. Admiration. It means a lot to guys. If you say to your husband, you know what, instead of nagging him about how much he works, I really appreciate how hard you work to support our family. It means a lot to me. Try that. Now, here, I can't tell you what your five are. Harley is not saying that women aren't interested in sexual fulfillment and, and, and men aren't interested in affection. Here's what he's saying. This is normally what it is. You guys got to talk and you figure it out. And here's the key. You want to know that here's the key. You want to protect your marriage. By the way, in his book, the first edition is entitled His Needs, Her Needs with a subtitle. You know what the subtitle is? How to Affair Proof Your Marriage. And the principle is this. If you do not meet your spouse's needs, whatever they are, you are now leaving them vulnerable to an affair. He says, every person that I have talked to that has had an affair, almost every person has had key major needs not met at home. Now, let me immediately say after that, that if you are not getting your needs met at home, that is still not an excuse to have an affair. Because some people will immediately twist my words. Here's what I'm saying. You want a good marriage. Then do that. Figure out what your spouse's needs are. Talk to them. Figure it out. And go out of your way, you meet their needs, they meet your needs. Invest and build your marriage. Second thing, let's go. You need to get help if you need it. In verse 23, he says, For lack of discipline they will die. 
for lack of discipline, they will die. I know a lot of marriages that suffer and die because of lack of information, lack of discipline, lack of change, lack of repair, lack of maintenance. They lack something. And a lot of times, some marriages, they just lack help. You have to swallow your pride. Put it to the side. There's nothing wrong with you. You've got marriage issues. We all do. Get over yourself. You know, I don't think twice if there's a rumbling in my engine. I don't go, well, you know, I take it to my mechanic. I don't have a clue how to fix it. If I start getting shortness of breath and my chest is tight, I don't wait. I go to Kaiser and get my doctor to check it out. If you've got issues in your marriage, sit down with someone. If one of the staff members here, if you don't want to sit down with us, we'll give you a list of people that you can sit down with. Read a book. Do something. Okay? But figure out a way to get help. So number one is get serious. Number two is get help. Number three, put it up there, is get naked. If I have to explain this to you, you need more help than I, you think you need. <laughs> Did you see how graphic verse 19 was? A loving doe, a graceful deer is what he calls his wife. In our day and age, he, he, it would be basically, like, oh my, my, my wife's a fox. In those days, a deer was supposed to be, you know, the word for you look good. Whatever. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. By the way, this is not the only time Solomon is incredibly graphic. Two, cha- two, two books to the right, there's a book called Song of songs and he's very graphic let me just give you a couple quick ideas look at how beautiful your sandaled feet feet oh prince's daughter what is he doing girl you got some nice shoes i like those shoes that's what he's doing instead of complaining about how many shoes she's got you i like your shoes your graceful legs are like jewels the work of an artist's hand now look at this next one your navel belly button is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine and apparently big enough for chips and dip. I mean, that is huge. Now, I would not suggest saying this to your spouse. Check this out. Hey, Sandy, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. I don't think that would work in our day and age, right? Your breasts are like two fawns, like twins of a, a fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like pools of Heshbon. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus and probably a thousand other directions as well. I mean, she's got a big nose, right? Let's put the next one. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair like royal tapestry. He likes her hair. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Now, look at this. Your stature is like that of a palm. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree. Take hold of the fruit. This is a man with a plan, you know? God bless the reading of God's word. You can argue with this, women, but he's he's visually captured by his wife. Now, women, a little different. Let me show you chapter five real quick. Let's put it up there. My beloved is radiant. This is this. She's speaking now. My beloved is radiant. Rudy outstanding among 10,000. His head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes like like a dove by the water streams washed in milk mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice yielding perfume. Notice that his lips are like lilies dripping with mur- murrays, probably drooling over what he just saw. You know, his appearance like Lebanon. This is my beloved. This is my friend daughters of jerusalem i'm going to stereotype again 
But men, if you haven't figured it out yet, are more visually stimulated. Women tend to be more relationally stimulated. That does not mean that she doesn't care if you look like a slob. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to understand how people are wired. And I'm just saying this. If your pastor isn't ashamed to talk about sex on Sunday morning, you shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it with your spouse on Sunday night. Talk to each other. Honestly, when's the last time you said, how could we improve in this very important area of our marriage? Everyone else is talking about it, except the two of you, you and your spouse. Talk about it. Let's move on. The last one is get spiritual. Get spiritual. Verse 21 says this, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. You want to know the best thing for your marriage is become more godly. Become more godly. And everything that that entails, more loving, more patient, more kind, more generous, become more godly. This is not just about you and your spouse. It's about you and your God. Let me end by saying this. I've had plenty of conversations over the years with individuals on both sides of this issue. People who have made a mistake and fallen in this area. Or spouses on the other end that have been deeply hurt. And let me say this. Because people always ask me. Adultery is biblical grounds for separation and divorce. But what you also need to know is that adultery also carries with it biblical grounds for repentance and forgiveness. It's just as powerful. And some in this room have messed up. And you've got to seek repentance. You've got to apologize to your God and you've got to apologize to your spouse. And with that comes the opportunity for forgiveness and restoration. You have the guarantee that God will forgive you. Guarantee. I'm not going to stand up here and promise you that um, just because you genuinely seek repentance that your spouse will give that to you. But at least you have a chance if you genuinely repent. Let me just wrap up and say this. This book says... That Jesus is the spouse of Bay Hills. He refers to our relationship like a marriage. And this is what I want to leave you with. Jesus promises, I will always be faithful to you. You can always count on that. Let's close in a word of prayer. This has been a heavy subject. I want to give you just a couple moments to digest what you've heard. If you have messed up in this area in the past, I want to encourage you right now, if you haven't already, to take a moment and talk to your God and ask for forgiveness. Seek repentance. It's an important step. If this has not happened to you, I want you to think through about what you've heard today. What has God spoken to you about in your marriage? What can you do to protect yourself? I want to give you about 30 seconds. You spend it with your God. 
Tell them what you've learned today and what you're going to do. You stand with me. We'll close for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that your word is so incredibly practical. Even in a difficult issue like this, you, you genuinely give us real solutions and answers about what we can do to protect our marriage. Um, Father, I, I want to pray uh, that you would bless the marriages in this congregation. The reality is, is that sometimes we fail to invest and to build and to cherish um, our spouse and, and uh, we, we get focused on the kids we get focused on work we get focused on all these other things father remind us remind us that the most important human relationship we are to have is our spouse so help us build into that relationship protect our marriages father keep them strong not just from this issue but from many issues that destroy marriage father we want to thank you so much that you are always faithful to us we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.